You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Uh, well, good morning. Uh, it is good to see you today. Uh, my name's Ethan. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, I get the privilege of being the pastor here uh, at Central, and I would love to get to shake your hand uh, and get to meet you uh, before the day is over. So please, uh, please come find me so that I can say hello. And if you come back next week and you want me to remember your name, uh, well, then pray for God's power in my life, right? Um, Romans chapter 10 is where we are going to be together this morning. Romans chapter Chapter 10. Uh, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than getting news late, is there? Uh, there's nothing worse than being the last one uh, to find something out. Right? You, you, uh, you go to share some news, you go to share some good news or some bad news or whatever it is, you're just excited that you get to tell someone whatever it's going to be, and they say, oh yeah, I already knew. Right? Uh, I already knew that. I had already heard that. I, uh, I already knew that. W- what's really bad is uh, sometimes this happens in my family uh, where I will uh, come home and I will tell my wife something really important that I have found out. Uh, and then she says, yeah, I told you that last week. Right? I, I told you that uh, not that long ago. Um, and my response is, I know. Right? I was just seeing if you remembered that, uh, that you told me. Right? I, I was just seeing if you were paying attention, not if I was paying attention. But there are times where being the, uh, getting the news late is dangerous, isn't there? Uh, there? There are times where getting the news late is bad. I, I think about how blessed we are um, in many ways to live in a world where we have access to news quickly. Now, this can be a blessing and a curse, right? Uh, Because the 24-hour news cycle means that news stations have to constantly be finding something to tell us, right? They've got to constantly be finding something to grab our attention saying breaking news. But it's also a blessing that we're not waiting days and weeks and months and even years uh, as has been the really the common experience throughout human history. It's a relatively recent development uh, that what happens in China, uh, we can know here within minutes. Uh, What happens in Africa, uh, we can know here uh, almost as soon as it happens. That's a blessing, uh, but there's also some danger that comes with that as well. Uh, When we look here at Romans 10, this passage that we're going to look at this morning, uh, we're going to see the danger of news getting there late. So over the last few weeks, we've been in this series, Back to Basics, and we're landing the plane on this series today. And we've talked about the gospel, and last week we talked about community, and today we're going to spend some time thinking about mission. What is the mission that our God has left for us, that he has given to us? And in Romans 10 uh, is one of the clearest ways, the clearest places in scripture that I know of uh, where we have this picture of what our mission is, what God has called you and I to do. So as we look here at Romans 10, we're gonna see this truth, that the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. 
The gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. You might say, Ethan, what do you mean it's only good news if it gets there on time? The word gospel literally means good news, and you are exactly right. Uh, But if the gospel gets to a community, if the gospel gets to a home, uh, or if the gospel gets to a nation or a place or or a people group uh, after death, then it hasn't gotten there on time, has it? it? It has gotten there late. And one of the things that that terrifies me as a Christian, as a a pastor, as a believer is the fact that we have given more energy uh, to let the world know what Coca-Cola is than to let the world know who Jesus is. I see, Coca-Cola has uh, like a 92% recognition rate in the world. That means 92% of the 7.2 billion people alive on earth know what Coca-Cola is. Uh, today, there's about three and a half billion people who have yet to hear the name of Jesus. Uh, but by God's grace, we can change that. Right? By God's grace and through his power, we can do something about that. So look with me here at Romans 10. We're going to see this, that the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. Let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word. We're going to be in Romans chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to read down to verse 17. Uh, The Spirit says to us this today, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness to us. And Father, I pray this morning that that as we study your word together, Father, I pray that you would light the, the wick, you would light the fuse in our hearts uh, for a passion and for a burden and for a desire uh, for your glory and your goodness and your gospel to be preached to the ends of the earth. So Father, I pray that you would use us to make that happen. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. As we look here uh, in Romans 10, first we see this, that the need is gospel preaching. The need, the great need of the world, the world's greatest need is gospel preaching. Now, when we read the book of Romans, and a couple weeks ago we were in Romans 3, one of the things that we see as we read through this book, as we read through this letter, is there is a seriousness that marks the letter to the Romans. Uh, There's a seriousness, there's an urgency that Paul is writing with because he understands just what is at stake. He is serious about being clear on what the gospel is. He's serious uh, about being clear on who needs the gospel. He's he's serious on being clear uh, about what the gospel demands for our lives. See, Paul is serious about the gospel because he understands that the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. And he's burdened that the gospel would get to people on time. Now, Romans 10 is found right smack in the middle of one of the most theologically dense, theologically thick sections in all of Scripture. 
Uh, So in Romans chapter 9, Paul starts to unpack God's purposes for election. And he uses that word predestination that whenever we say it, it makes us nervous because we're not really sure what it means and all of these things. And then we skip over Romans 10 and we go to Romans 11. And in Romans 11, uh, Paul starts talking about, uh, all right, in Romans 9, I've talked about this election here in Romans 11. We've seen uh, through the book of Romans that the gospel is now for Jews and for Gentiles. And in Romans 11, he asked the question, okay, well, what of God's promises to the Jews? What do we do with all of that? And so people love to argue over Romans 9. They love to argue over Romans 11. And then right in the middle of Romans 9 and 11, you have Romans 10. You've got these theologically thick Romans 9 and this theologically thick Romans 11. And I think one of the things that Paul is doing here as he's teaching us, he's reminding us that you can understand, you can attempt to comprehend the great mysteries of the faith, the great mysteries of the gospel, but if it does not spur you on to love people more and be more and more serious about the mission that Jesus has given, then you do not understand what you claim to. Right, that, that if, you, if you think that you have such a great grasp on the Bible, but your great grasp on the Bible does not lead you to love and to sacrifice so that others can hear and believe, then maybe your grasp on the Bible isn't as firm as you think it is. Paul's driving us, he's pointing us, he's pushing us to understand and to feel the weight of the reality that our neighbors and the nations need the gospel. In one sense, what Paul is doing in Romans is he's telling the Jews and he's telling the Gentiles, he's saying, look, you need to stop fighting over who could believe and who could believe first, and you need to start focusing on who has yet to believe, right? You need to start focusing on who is yet to be brought into the room. And so in verses 14 and 15, what we have is we have this chain of events, and it's really a chain of events that Paul has reverse engineered from the time that someone believes the gospel all the way back to the time that they hear the gospel. So look at verse 14. He says, how then? Now that word then, he's calling us back to what he has just said. If we were to go back and read the first 13 verses of Romans 10, what, would, what we would have is we would have Paul explaining the gospel again. He's going to do this several times through the book of Romans. He, he's going to go through and he's going to unpack what is the gospel. But when he says how then, he's, he's really calling us back to verse 13. Look here at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, this is good news for all of us, and this is especially good news for some of us today. Because some of you have come in today wondering, what does it take to be saved? What does it take to be made right with God? On the authority of God's word, what we can take to the bank is that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Anyone who says, Jesus saved me, will be saved. Now in verse 14, here's the problem. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? We cannot be saved. We can't call on the name of Jesus if we've yet to believe in Jesus. But there's another problem here in verse 14. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? See, belief in Christ cannot happen if you don't know who it is that you're supposed to believe in. 
You can't believe in Jesus if you don't know who Jesus is. And so how are they to hear? He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? The the implication is, is that someone has to preach. Someone has to share. Someone has to tell them. Now, when Paul uses this word preaching here, He's not speaking of kind of this formal preaching the the way that I'm doing today. He's talking here about a proclaiming. It's a heralding. It's a a, a sharing a message that has been given to you. So it's, it's not necessarily a formal preacher, but it's a messenger. So in this way, every believer, every disciple has been called to be a gospel preacher. If you take the name of Christ, that means that one of the callings that you are taking on yourself is that the Lord has called you to be a gospel proclaimer, a gospel sharer. Now in verse 15, we have another question. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? See, here's the thing about the gospel. The the gospel only goes where preachers go. The gospel only goes where people who take the gospel go. And so uh, here in uh, verse 15, he, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52. He says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now he's doing this for two reasons. One, he's doing it to remind us of what a privilege it is to be able to carry the gospel to our neighbors. What a privilege it is to be able to carry the gospel to the nations. I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think about sharing the gospel, we think about living on mission, and we think about it as more of a burden than a privilege. But what Paul is saying here is that this is not a burden. This is a heavenly privilege that the high king of heaven would use you and I to accomplish his will in the world. Or that God would use us to accomplish what he is doing in the world. Now, he quotes Isaiah here for another reason, to show that the preachers have already been sent, right? In one sense, what's happening here is he's saying, look, the apostles have come, they have have been preaching, the apostles fulfill this, but in another sense, every believer has been called to take the gospel. Every believer has been called to share the gospel. Every believer has been called to carry the gospel. See, here's what I know, and I don't know everyone in this room, but here's what I know, that you did not believe the gospel without someone first sharing the gospel with you. Right? You did not believe the gospel. You weren't just asleep one night and woke up in the morning and thought, I need Jesus. Right? That, that is not how it works. Right? You believed because someone carried the gospel to you. And, and some of us believed that because our friends or our loved ones or our neighbors or whoever it is, they wouldn't take no for an answer. Right? They just kept sharing. They just kept sharing. They just kept sharing until finally something clicked, right? And that's something that clicked was God's spirit making your soul alive, right? Making your soul, giving you that gift to believe. See, the need for today is the same need that it was in Paul's day. The great need for today is gospel preaching. See, the the preacher that your neighbors need is you. The the preacher the nations need is us. Here's what I promise you. You are a much better preacher to your lost friends than I could ever be. You are a much better proclaimer of the gospel 
to your coworkers and your neighbors and your relatives than, than I could ever be because they know you and they love you. Right? They, they know you and they know that you care about them. Now, that's not to say uh, don't invite your friends. Right? That's, not, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that, that the Lord has put you where he has for a reason. Right? He's placed you where he has for a purpose. And you might say, Ethan, look, I'm, I'm new to this whole thing. I'm not ready to share the gospel. Maybe you say, Ethan, I, I'm, I'm new to town. I, I don't even have any friends that I, uh, that I can share the gospel with. I, I'm not sure how this works. Well, well here, here's what I would encourage you to do. And take baby steps. One of those baby steps might be that you start to weave kingdom threads into your conversations. Now, well, what is a kingdom thread? Well, it means that whenever uh, someone says something like, that's a beautiful day today, you say something simple like, hey man, God's really blessed us. When someone says, man, I'm just not feeling well, you say, hey, let me pray for you. And as you weave these kingdom threads and as you sprinkle these kingdom kind of seeds throughout your conversations and throughout your relationships, then guess what? It's not weird whenever you ask that person, hey, can I talk to you about Jesus? Another, another simple way, another simple baby step is to invite your friends to come to church with you, right? Because I, I'm, I'm convinced, I'm committed, I'm con- convictional about this, that anytime the Lord gives me the opportunity to, to teach the Bible, I'm gonna share the gospel, I'm gonna preach the gospel. So invite you, your friends to, to come and sit with you and hear the gospel and you can talk about the gospel with them. Next week, we've been ringing this bell over the last month that, that next Sunday is our grand opening right? The, the next Sunday, I, can I tell you why I'm excited about next Sunday? Because the ceiling tiles are going to be in the lobby. <laughs> I, I walk in every, every day I come in and I look, I, oh, no ceiling tiles, no, no ceiling tiles, right? There's going to be ceiling tiles next week. The baseboards are going to be painted. It's going to be done. And we didn't do all of that so that all of us could look at it and be proud of it. But we did it to make room for our neighbors and the nation's. We, we have been, we come into this worship center several times a week and we start playing with chairs in here to figure out how can we get more seats? How can we get more chairs? How can we make more room so that more people can invite their neighbors to come in and to hear the gospel and we can multiply disciples we can multiply leaders and we can multiply churches. And so maybe you think, well, it's too late for me to invite uh, this person or, or that person to the ground, but it's never too late, right? As you leave today, there's invite cards out there. And the beautiful thing about those invite cards is they're not branded specifically to our grand opening. They're just general invite cards. So you can grab a stack. No one's gonna get on to you if you take too many. Right? Uh, no one's gonna get mad about you taking too many. You take those and you invite people to the grand opening. But then you know what you do? You invite them to come the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. Those are baby steps that we can take to get serious about this great need that is gospel preaching. So we've got this great need of gospel preaching. Next, we have this is the, the urgency is gospel obedience. The urgency is gospel obedience. See, there's a seriousness and an urgency that mark Paul's words. There's no time to wait. There's no time to waste. Look at verse 16. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 
Now, Paul talks about the gospel here in a way that, that maybe we're not used to. He, he talks about it in terms of obedience rather than in faith. We're typically, uh, we're typically used to hearing something like putting your faith in the gospel. But what Paul says is they have not all obeyed the gospel. Now, who are they? Well, they are lost Jews and lost Gentiles. See, he's gone through this chain, and here in verse 16, he's coming to this point where he's letting us know that merely hearing the gospel is not enough. Listening to the gospel doesn't save anyone. If it did, we would buy a truck with a loud horn and we would just drive up and down the roads, right? Saying Jesus and people would just be saved, right? They, they would just, but that's not the way it works. Look at, just right down to verse 18. Paul says this, he says, but I ask if they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. So what's happening here is uh, Paul is building this case from the Old Testament that Israel, that they had, uh, they had the opportunity to hear the gospel. They, they had the opportunity to believe the gospel. And then this last verse here in verse 20, he's quoting Isaiah, a prophecy from Isaiah, where Isaiah is saying, look, one day Israel is going to enter into a time of disobedience. And when, enter, when Israel enters into that time, the Gentiles are going to enter into a season of obedience. And these are those who, who have been found by those who did not seek me, and he's shown himself to those who did not ask for me. Verse 21, but for Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. See, Israel failed to believe because of their disobedience. They failed to trust in the promises of God because of their disobedience. In the second half, if you jump back up to verse 16, to quote from Isaiah 53, essentially reminding us, you know what? Not everyone will believe. Not everyone does believe. Now, it might feel strange for you to talk about the gospel as obedience, that, that we should obey the gospel. Well, we need to understand the nature of the gospel and the nature of faith. First, the gospel is an announcement. It Literally, we've already said it means good news, but the gospel is not just an announcement. The gospel is a command. Matthew chapter three, Jesus says, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus says repent and believe, he's not saying, hey, you should really think about repenting and believing. No, Jesus is commanding, right? Jesus is saying, repent and believe. It's not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. And so the gospel comes to us. It comes to us as good news, but it comes to us as good news that we must believe, that we must trust and if we don't then there is punishment there are consequences for that now with faith we've got to understand that the true faith never leaves us unchanged saving faith always involves commitment and submission that saving faith always involves committing to believe the gospel committing to trust the gospel and committing to live out the gospel committing to obey the gospel. So if you're waiting to believe and obey the gospel, I want to encourage you, don't do it because tomorrow is not promised. 
I want to encourage you today to believe that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to believe that Jesus has lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. He's died in your place and he rose again from the grave. He conquered sin and he conquered death. And now if you'll believe, you can be saved. And we want to celebrate that with you. We want to, we want to walk with you as you follow Jesus. Because you need to understand that tomorrow is not promised. Now, obedience sometimes gets a negative rap. Right? It feels cold. It, it feels disconnected. When I think about obedience, and maybe your mind goes to, man, I wish my kids would obey. Right? Uh, w- what I've learned as a parent um, is that my kids can be really good at obeying the things they want to. Uh, this, this week, they brought home a fundraiser kit uh, from school. And by the time I had gotten home, they had memorized what they must do to win the prize, and they had memorized what prizes were available to them. And at first, I didn't believe them because they were talking about this six-foot balloon and this pig that flies and all of that. And then the next day, guess what was in my house? Balloons and pigs, right? Uh, they, they had memorized it. They understood what they had to do to get that. And so what it meant for them to win this reward was that they had to do some things and then the grandparents had to give some money, right? Uh, And uh, so what happened is, is they strategically sent emails, that's what you did, uh, to grandparents and then the grandparents strategically gave money uh, so that they could win. Right? My kids obeyed because they understood what was on the other side. And what was on the other side wasn't anything that they had earned, but what had been credited to their account by their grandparents. You and I, we obey the gospel, not because of it will earn us anything, but because Jesus has already earned it for us and has accounted it to our account, right? He's accredited to our account, right? That's what the gospel is, and that's why we believe, and that's why we obey, See, the problem of the world is is that there's gospel preaching that is need, but there's a lack of gospel obedience, and so the urgency is gospel obedience, and then finally we see that the answer is gospel confidence. Now, it's easy to get overwhelmed with the task in front of us. I've already said that three and a half billion people, if they were to die tonight, would die having never heard the name of Jesus. It's easy to get overwhelmed with that, and yet Paul ends with a note of confidence. See, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time, and the good news about the gospel is that the gospel works. Look at verse 17. So faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Verse 17 is really a summary and an emphasis of verses 14 and 15. He says, people will not be saved until Christ is preached, but when Christ is preached, people will be saved. This is why we've got to be careful and intentional about what it is that we're preaching with our lives. What it is that we're proclaiming with our lives. I wonder, do do the people who, who know you know that your ultimate hope and highest confidence is in the gospel? Or do they think that based on what you talk about the most and what we spend our money on and what we spend our time doing that our hope is in something other than Jesus? They think that just by looking at our lives and based on what we talk about, that our hope is really in becoming successful. 
that our hope is really in gaining this thing or that thing, that our hope is really in Washington, D.C., rather than in Jesus who sits on the throne? Do, Do they think that our hope is really in the hope that one day we'll be able to escape all of this mess? Or do they know that our hope, based on what we say and based on how we live and based on how we leverage our lives, that our hope is in Jesus? Because it's important to know and to remember this that we are always preaching a gospel. The way you live is preaching a gospel. What you talk about is preaching a gospel. What you spend your time and your talents and your resources on is preaching a gospel. The question is, is it preaching the gospel that saves or is it the preaching the gospel of this world that gets you nothing? We are always preaching something with our lives. See, verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing. It means that we've got to preach. Hearing through the word of Christ means that we've got to preach, we've got to proclaim the gospel. Now, there's words of Christ, literally, can be translated word about Christ. See, that's what saves people. This message about Jesus is the good news. We share his life his death, and his resurrection. What does it take to be saved? It takes trusting the word about Jesus. It takes trusting in Jesus' life and his death and his bodily, physical resurrection. Now, Paul does this intentionally here. He talks about this, this word of Christ, and he does this because he's already introduced this theme in the book of Romans that, that revolves around this word. So if you were to look at Romans chapter 9, verse 6, we've got it on the screen. Paul starts this section. He says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. But focus on that first half. It's not as though the word of God has failed. And what he's going to want to show is he's going to show how God has kept his word. And he's going to bring this back up here at the end of Romans 10 to show that, that this word that God has kept, this word that God has fulfilled, this word is the word of Christ. Right, it's the gospel. If you understand God's word, you've got to understand the gospel. That's what God is doing here in the world. That God is most fully understood in the word who is from the beginning, who cannot fail in this word who is Jesus. Now, as we look here at Romans 10, we see that there's this, this great need for gospel preaching and there's this great urgency for gospel obedience and, and that the answer is gospel confidence. And we hear all that and we, we know all that, but if we do nothing with that, then knowing all of that does not matter. See, the gospel is only good news if it gets there on time. And so I wonder what is hindering the gospel from getting to where it needs to go. What is hindering the gospel from from getting to to people who need to hear it and people who need to believe? And so my prayer, my hope for us here at Central is that we would be a church that is committed to this mission that God has called us to. That we would be committed to being a church that answers the need of gospel preaching. That we would be a church that understands the urgency of gospel obedience and that we would be a church that has great confidence in the gospel. Because Jesus saves. Right? He is good, and that's, that's what he does. He saves. 
And so what can you and I do about this today? As you've come in, you already see that it's not necessarily a normal Sunday here at Central. You've seen these compassion, maybe the banners or the tables set up. And maybe you're wondering, all right, well, what is this compassion thing? Uh, Well, compassion is a ministry, it's a gospel ministry that is focused on doing one thing, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Rather, that's their goal. Their goal is to meet children and families where they are. They go to the hardest to reach, right? The hardest to get to, to the least of these. And they, they go to meet their physical needs, but they understand that meeting their physical needs doesn't matter if they don't meet their spiritual needs. And so they, they go in to meet both. One of the things, I was with Compassion uh, several weeks ago. I got to spend some time in Africa with them uh, to see their ministry, to see how it works. And they told this story about their former president, a guy named Wes Stafford. Uh, he had brought in a consultant, a business consultant, to see how they might grow their business, how, how they might grow their ministry, their portfolio. And the first thing the consultant said was, you have a, the greatest brand in all the world. Who can't get serious about something called compassion? But then, but then he said, here's the thing though, Wes, you talk about Jesus too much. You need to talk about Jesus less because if you, you stop talking about Jesus, then you could get atheists to come and support. You, 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 could, you could get agnostic. You get all kinds of people to come and support. Uh, and so Wes said, thank you, you're fired. And then what they did was they, they doubled down on, in Jesus' name, putting it on all of their things, and then they made organizational changes so that uh, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name can never be taken out. And one of the things they did just symbolically is at the 50th anniversary of Compassion, they brought uh, two 10-year-olds up on stage. And they said, you have one goal in 50 years at the 100th anniversary. Your, your role, your goal is to ask the president then, is it still all about Jesus? I'm a believer in compassion because I've seen what compassion does. Uh, compassion goes into hard to reach, hard to get to, difficult places where poverty is seen in its realist form. And they go in and they partner with local churches to identify children and families who are at the highest risk, who are at the highest need. And then they bring them in and they meet their physical needs. So they make sure that they're well cared for, that they get the meals that they need each day. Not just them, but their family as well. They, they come in and they make sure that, uh, that they get the medical attention that they need. They, they come in and they, they make sure that they get the education that they need. And here's one of the things I love about compassion is that they're not just serious about making sure that these children learn how to read and how to write, uh, but from the earliest age, they start teaching children these things called income generation activities. Uh, and so we've got some pictures from my time in Africa. I just want to show you, this is here in one of the, uh, one of the churches that we got a chance to spend some time with. Uh, I was, uh, our group, uh, we were the, the first white people, the first Mzungus is what they say, uh, that had been in this village in seven years. Uh, and so th- this was, this was a, a strange thing. This was a new thing. Uh, so go ahead and roll to that next uh, picture. This right here, uh, this is a picture. I've mentioned those income generating activities. One of the things that they do is they teach these children uh, how to sew. 
And then what these children can do is uh, they can, one, they can make their own school uniforms, but then they take these things to the marketplace and they sell them in the marketplace so that they can begin to help support their family. Uh, They'll teach them things like sewing or uh, cooking or or, uh, electrical or or different computer things. Uh, Go ahead and go to that, that next picture. This is a picture of me uh, walking with two girls, and we are headed uh, to the one in the uh, yellow. We are headed to uh, her family's house. Uh, She had been, uh, she's one of four children. Um, When her mom was eight months pregnant with her youngest brother, um, the dad, her dad left. The mom gave birth, stayed around for about three months, and then the mom abandoned all four children uh, with, uh, with grandma. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see, uh, you'll see that family there. And Compassion has come in, and they have uh, helped them uh, survive. Right? They've helped them live. They've given them what they need uh, to survive both physically, but also spiritually. And so through the ministry of compassion, you'll see the grandma there and the kids. Uh, Through the ministry of compassion, uh, that grandma has become a believer. Uh, Through the ministry of compassion in the local church, uh, her grandchildren are being discipled. You can go to the the next slide. Uh, That right there, that is about half of the children uh, who are supported at that one location. So we were in Tanzania. Tanzania uh, has right around 100,000 children who are involved in sponsorship right now. They have 13,000 who need to be uh, sponsored. And as I was there, my heart was just gripped by what the Lord is doing through compassion. There's another, we don't have pictures of this, um, but one of the things that compassion does is they go and they start, uh, it's called survival centers. And these survival centers, what they realize is that the earlier they can get a child into the program, uh, then the more likely that child will succeed in life. And so what they've done is they've gone in and they've identified uh, pregnant moms in need, and they bring them into the program and they teach them, how do you be a mom? How do you care for your children? How do you, how do you meet their, their daily needs? And then how can we help you support yourself? So how can we teach you some income generating activities? One of the things I love about compassion uh, is they're not giving them fish, they're teaching them how to fish, right? They're, they're going after discipleship, but it's holistic discipleship. And so whenever I came back from Africa, I'll be honest with you, I went as a skeptic. I went fully, fully ready to come back and say, you know what, that is not for me. That is not for us. But when I came back, I just couldn't shake what I had seen. And and when I coupled that with Romans 10, that how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? I started asking the questions, right? What does this mean for me? What, what does this mean for Ethan? What does this mean for the Crowders? But then we started asking the question, or what does this mean for Central? What does this mean for our church? We have a history of being a church that is serious about the mission. So I started asking, right, well, how can we intersect these two things? These children who are in great need and great poverty, and then also uh, our great missionary partnerships. And so then I started talking with Jared and Amy Mitchum. Uh, who, if you were here at the core rally several weeks ago, uh, then you saw the interview that they had that we did with them. Jared and Amy are on their way uh, to Columbia. And so I started asking Jordan and Amy some questions, and I, I started asking Compassion some questions, and realized that one of the things is we, many of you sponsor Compassion Kids. Uh, one of the things that, that you realize, though, is that 
oftentimes that child just becomes maybe a picture on the fridge. That, that child just becomes a $38 a month that is leaving your bank account. That, that child just becomes a, a letter that you might write every so often or a gift that you might send through compassion every so often. And so I, I, I don't want my relationship with compassion, with my compassion child to be that. And so we started asking questions and we realized, hey, there's a way for us to intersect our partnership with Jared and Amy with our partnership with Compassion. And so Jared and Amy, they are on their way over the next several months to Bogota, Colombia. We have 200, really around 195, my last count, because people have already started sponsoring these kids. We have 195 kids. The vast majority of them are located in Bogota. Many of them are located in other parts of Colombia. These are children who are in great need of support. Many of them have been waiting for a sponsor for close to a year. And so what we're going to be able to do is as we partner with Jared and Amy, we're going to be able to go and work with Jared and Amy. And then the the last half of our trip, we're going to be able to go and meet our compassion children, uh, to love our compassion children, uh, to see what it is that we are supporting, what it is uh, that we are giving to. And so uh, these, we have 195, 190-something compassion children uh, to be supported. Uh, Whenever I was talking with our compassion contact, he asked me, well, how many do you want to do? I said, well, we did 100 last time in 2019, so I want 200. He said, well, that is an audacious goal. And I said, well, brother, we are an audacious church, right? Uh, We are serious about people hearing the gospel. And so uh, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to pray about supporting one of these compassion children. Uh, For some of you, I understand that $38 a month would be a great strain on your budget, and you cannot do that. And listen, I fully get it. I can remember many times Anna and I sitting in a concert or sitting in a service like that and thinking, man, I would love to be able to support one of those kids, but it's just not in the budget right now. So if that's you, I get it. But for some of you, you wouldn't miss $38 a month. At $38 a month, I, I did the math. I used a calculator. Um, $38 a month comes out to $456 a year. The average customer at Starbucks spends $2,275 a year. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't drink Starbucks. Well, I, I bet you have something, Right? Uh, For the first time in American history, the average car payment is over $700 a month. We put our money where our our heart is, don't we? And so the question is, is our heart for the lost, right? Jesus said, let the children come to me. We have a great opportunity to do just that. And so I, I don't want you to feel like I'm guilting you. I am a little, right? <laughs> but I don't want you to feel like I am guilting you or like the preacher made you do it. But here's, here's what I do want you to feel. I want, we can all come up with every reason in the world on why we can't give $38 a month. And understand this, at $38 a month, it doesn't come to Central goes to Compassion, $7 a month of that goes to support their overhead so that they can print these things and so that uh, to facilitate that, uh, that communication between, uh, between the sponsor and between their child. And trust me, that child knows who their sponsor is. That child knows uh, who it is that is writing to them. And even the people who don't write, they know, hey, my sponsor is Sally. My sponsor is Susie. $7 a month goes off to take care of that. The other $31 a month goes right to that child. $31 
It goes right to support that child in that program to make sure that they have the physical needs met, but also to make sure that they have their spiritual needs met. And so I'm encouraging you, you know, right, right now, whether or not you can grab one of these children. Some of you, maybe it's not one child, maybe it's two. I, I, I don't know, I met a guy recently, he, he sponsors 10 Compassion Children. I don't know what it is that the Lord's leading you to do or that he's calling you to do, but what I know is that we have an opportunity to impact the lives of 100, 200, really, kids right now. And what we know as well is this, Compassion has done their homework. They know that uh, one person comes to faith through the ministry of Compassion eight seconds. And that on average that uh, when one child is sponsored, it goes on to affect the lives of six to 10 people. And so that $38 a month, we, we've got faces down here. Our compassion child, his name is Leon. That $38 a month goes to support Leon, but what we know is that $38 a month is gonna go uh, to impact Leon's mother or his father or his brothers or his sisters or his grandparents. Man, I can't think of a better way to spend $38 a month. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.